Welcome to the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. It is Nebraska week. Tim May of the Dispatch will join us momentarily for a, what we hope will be, a, it'll always be, I assure you, it'll be an illuminating look at uh, at his time on the beat, which has been long as, it's, as it draws to an end here in his final season. One of the great legends of the game, so we're excited about that. John, as we um, take a look back at the weekend, I, I could go many ways with this thing, but I think we all end up in the same place. And I I think in many respects, it was a really bad weekend for Ohio State because of what happened in the Big Ten West with Purdue losing, with Wisconsin losing, with Iowa losing. It all but eliminates any possibility of Ohio State getting a bump by winning the Big Ten championship game. And of course, we have these conversations acknowledging that Ohio, Ohio State can't run in short yardage. If they can't tackle anybody, they got their own problems. Um, <laughs> but we judge this team always against Alabama and, and with the idea of what does it take to get to the playoff. And so winning out and winning the Big Ten, I think, would put them there. So I think all of those losses in the Big Ten were West were bad losses for Ohio State's case. And yet, by the time the dust settled on, on Saturday night, here's the deal. Ohio State moves up to eight in the poll. We don't know where the playoff poll will be, but my guess is they'll be somewhere around there. And because of the carnage that happens on Saturday, Johnny, there are these are the teams, the Power Five teams, with one or zero losses. This is the entire list, and we haven't even got to November yet. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, LSU, Georgia, Kentucky, Ohio State, Washington State, West Virginia, and Oklahoma. You know this for sure. Big Ten, big or SEC champion is getting in. So either Bama or Georgia or LSU is getting in, or Kentucky, I guess, if they were to win out. The worst case scenario, I think, would be if LSU beats Bama and Bama wins out and LSU wins out, then I think they both would get in. And then you'd have two SEC teams getting in. But I think that's really the only possibility for that. Uh, Clemson undefeated in the big in the ACC is getting in. Notre Dame undefeated in the independent is getting in. And then you're looking at basically one spot for the Big Ten champion, Ohio State or Michigan, presumably, are the only two who could do it, or Oklahoma or West Virginia in the Big 12. And so while all of that was a lot of names and phrases and here's what might, I think it's starting to get pretty simple with a month to go. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to win out. I mean, that's it. Like it's not I mean, look, I don't I don't expect Ohio State even with I mean, you've got it's obviously you can't just beat Michigan and you've got to win the Big Ten. You've got to do it convincingly. I don't know where my brain is at in terms of Ohio State even making the playoffs at this point, just because. I mean, let's say, okay, so let's say they get past Michigan, they get to the Big Ten championship game. If they win that game, they still have to look more convincing than whoever is from the Big 12, or, or and theoretically, maybe even better than Notre Dame in some cases, depending on how it shakes out with, like, the SEC. So I don't, personally, I don't know that, like, the path for Ohio State is all that clear in the sense that... um you know, they can just kind of win. They, they've got to destroy teams. They've got to make the kind of turnaround that they did in 2014. They've got to do some really special things in the last month of the season. Whereas a team like Michigan, for example, I think Michigan Michigan just wins out and, and does pretty much what they've been doing. I think they're good to go. I, I honestly think that they would get in over a Big 12 team, mostly on the strength of that defense, which is just completely ridiculous. So I, I think Ohio State's path is a little more complicated because they really have to turn around some things, uh, especially – just you know, offensively, defensively, they got to do a lot of work if they want to get into the playoff, and it will require them looking really, really good. I think. I don't think I, they I can just coast in there. Part. I agree with your first part. I don't, I don't necessarily. I'm not sure yet if I agree with the second part. 
look, they've got to do, they got to fix their own problems, right? They got to run the football. They got to be able, they got to stop somebody. And, and so far they can't. So um, you and I were talking off air. I'm, you know, I'm kind of irrationally nervous about Nebraska. And I know you right, are too. Same. You burnt that up to me and I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you know, there's, I don't know. I, this is, I'm just kind of shell shocked by this Buckeye team. And so I don't know what to expect week in and week out, but I do think, um, you know, Ohio state winning out just in any way possible is still in really good shape. Because if you think about it, LSU, Georgia, Kentucky, they're, they're all going to cannibalize. Like right. they, they can, Kentucky will be eliminated by Saturday. I think they play Georgia Saturday. They'll be eliminated if they lose to Georgia. They're out. Georgia would play Bama or LSU in the, in the SEC title. The loser of that game would be out if it's LSU. The real monkey wrench in this where it gets interesting for Ohio State is a Bama loss. Like really, we need Bama to win out and just get in and not and eliminate the rest of the SEC in the process. Uh, and I think losses, you know, like a Clemson loss makes it interesting. Then it starts to get. But as we sit here on this day, um, you know, I, I think a lot of this is going to kind of eliminate itself. Oklahoma still has to play West Virginia, so one of those will be eliminated. They play the final game of the regular season, and then the, theoretically, the winner of that game would have to play the second place team in the Big Twelve in the Big Twelve championship game. So they have to play yep. right together, right over again. Um, and I think the Big Ten would get in over Washington State and, and the Pac-12. But, of course, this is all set up on the premise that Ohio State can handle its own business and fix its own problems, which, we, we you know, we don't know if it can at this point. <laughs> They've yeah. got a week to get it fixed. Um, and these things are so fluid. They are so fluid. Um, but it, it is it's amazing what happens in the course of a season when you say who controls their own destiny. And, you know, two or three weeks ago, it's five teams. Then last week, some, it moves up to like eight or nine just because of weird losses. And now you think about who controls their own destiny. It's Bama. It's Clemson. I guess it's LSU. Maybe yeah. Georgia. I mean, that's it. I mean, th th and Notre, I guess Notre Dame. Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and then uh, LSU or Georgia. And I guess Kentucky would have to be in there too because if they won the SEC, they'd get in with one loss. So I think that's it. I think everybody else – Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Washington State, they all they all have to impress and fix things and then hope for things to go their way uh, as this thing shakes out. I think, I mean, one of the things that Ohio State, you know, it's one thing to lose, I think in Michigan's case in Notre Dame, when you're, you're that early in the season to a team that eventually has become that well-ranked. But one of the things I think Ohio State fans and, and you know really need to take into consideration isn't just the loss against Purdue, but also the wins that Ohio State has. Like the resume, oh, you you yeah, got to be Michigan because the resume is just trash at this point. I mean, your two best yeah. wins to date are against TCU, a team that's what, like three and four or four? I can't even remember what their record is anymore. They're not in the What top. is their best win? Yeah, and then Penn State, which – Ohio State's best – at Penn State is the best win. But right, they which, play Michigan and Wisconsin still. Yeah, so they got to they gotta take care of business because right now they – I think in the eyes of the people who are making the, uh, the you know, the, the rankings for the college football playoff, which is coming, obviously, you know, as of, you know, this listening of this podcast, it'll be out. So I, I honestly, their resume is like nothing at this point. So they have to build that in the last month. And that's really where, you know, I say that they need to kind of dominate these teams because I think other teams will get the opportunity to play in those, you know, championship games for their conferences and you've got to basically be able to hold up your win in those games against Michigan and then ideally in the you know conference championship uh, to what other teams have done in their rivalry games and then in their championship games. I just I just think that's difficult for a team that has no real good win at this point in the season. 
Yeah, I mean the the Penn State win continues to be the best, which is why I was looking at that big t- the Big Ten West debacle and saying you're not getting any bump for that. Right. Um, in terms of Ohio State's perception, you know, I I don't even know what to tell you about who to root for in the Big Ten West. Normally I could, I don't have any idea. <laughs> I mean, it's all bad. It's it's you're going to play a bad team for the Big Ten championship, and maybe it's a you know I don't even know. I suppose Northwestern controls its destiny. That's the last thing you want is to play Northwestern. And, um, you know, so you don't want that at all, but I'll tell you one thing you do want, and that's Michigan to win every game it plays until you play them. Yeah. That's your only, that's your real only shot to impress. Yeah. And that's, and a lot of people hate hearing that, but honestly, like, first of all, I think they will. Uh, and secondly, I mean, if you want Ohio state to go anywhere in the college football, if you still hold that as a goal for this season's football team, you you got to build a marquee win and that's, you got to play good teams to do it. Teams that are ranked teams that are highly ranked. And Michigan right now is your best shot at getting one of those. Uh, so, yeah. And, and frankly, I think that'll be a really fun, exciting game. I mean, obviously, if this were at, at Michigan, oh, I think, yeah, I think yeah. that would be terrifying. Yeah. But that you get them at home helps a lot. And uh, hopefully they can get some of those things fixed by the time, you know, the end of November rolls around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I really, really look forward to that. So that'll, that'll be a fun one, certainly, um, as it always is. But it, it's been a long time since we've had we've had one of these that really, really mattered. And yeah. so we're finally going to get one that really matters. So, so, I'm, so I'm certainly looking forward to that. All right, still to come, we will, uh, we will get to some Ask Us Anything, take a look at the Nebraska game. But first, we are joined by my man, Tim May of the Columbus Dispatch. He will join us coming up next. Before we do that, though, be sure and visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more drygoods.11warriors.com. All right. It is with great pleasure that we bring on one of the most influential and uh, really one of the best friends I ever met in Columbus, Ohio. is my good man, Tim May of the Columbus Dispatch. Um, And for any time I've asked him, hey, what's going on? And what's your answer to it? Or how are you doing today? Or what's up? No, what's up? You always say either the stock market or the temperature. Always stock market is always the answer to that question. I've, I've never heard it any other way, my friend. Uh, Not today, thank you so baby. Much for... Not as we record no. this. <laughs> Not as we're recording. No, it is not. Let's. Uh, it it has it has gotten out. I know to the chagrin of you to a certain extent, it has gotten out a little bit. Yep. Uh, this is your last uh, season on the beat. Um, I I view you as the most influential person in the history of the Ohio State football beat, and uh, I know you don't take compliments well, but that's the way I feel about you. And I think it, I think you even transcend the the written beat part of it. I, I think you're the, one of the most important Ohio State personalities, and one of the four one of the great authorities on Ohio State football, really in the history of the program. And um, I'm I'm curious. I know this story, but I, I don't know if our listeners do. Um, how did how do you end up here? Uh, you 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 know one of you've always had the Southern accent. We know about Lufkin. We know about your love for the University of Alabama. How does Tim May end up at the Columbus Dispatch covering Ohio State football? By the way, thanks for reading that uh, introduction. Just like I wrote it. Uh, appreciate that, uh, Bo. You always do a good job on the teleprompter. But uh, bottom bottom line is. Uh, my my dad was named chief chemical engineer for Borden Chemical Company way back when in the mid seventies. I, I got to bring that up because that's why I'm here. And uh, Borden Chemical people remember was in that big green building at the Fourth and and Broad Street for a long time. And bottom line, it was the Borden building. So they moved up here, and uh, and two years later, I was already a major success back in Texas. I was a sports editor of the Lufkin News when I was 19 years old and the youngest sports editor of a daily paper in Texas. And, uh, but I decided to further my education by coming to Ohio, moving up here and going to Ohio State because I'd always been enamored 
with Ohio State from the time in 1968 when I'd watch that, that Bill Fleming uh, show on Sunday mornings, you know, uh, uh, where the confetti would be falling from the uh, upper deck uh, when they were making their run for the national championship and the highlights. And it was like watching snow, you know, in September, October, you know. But anyway, bottom line is I was always enamored with Ohio State. I was one of the main reason I wanted to move. I wanted to go move up here and go to Ohio State games, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Hey, hey, and and go to college. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, but that that's why I moved up here when I was 22 years old and started going to Ohio State. Started working part time at the Dispatch, and since I had you know, quite a bit of experience in both writing stories, uh, laying out laying out the paper, et cetera, that quickly evolved into a full time job in 1977, and uh, you know college. It kind of came like John Belushi for me a little bit, you know, seven years of college <laughs> yeah. down the toilet. But uh, but the bottom line is uh, that's that's how I ended up here. That's how I ended up at the dispatch of the sports editor. Then was Dick Oddie. Uh, he appreciated both my wit and my witticisms. And uh, he also appreciated uh, the fact that I worked hard. And there, next thing you knew, I was uh, working full time. I was, a, once again, a major success. Who, now, think, who was the first? What, what was the first year you covered Ohio State football? Then was it 1977? Is that what you said? No, no, no. I started covering Ohio State football uh, as the beat writer in 1984. But I did, okay. I did actually help cover games back in the 70s and 80s. You know, when uh, they needed an extra hand, like uh, like I was there at the Penn State game in uh, in uh, 70. What was that? Art Schleicher's debut was that 78 as a freshman when he and okay. uh, when 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 he and uh, what's his face ran out there together and uh, uh, Rod Gerald ran to wide receiver and Arch Schleister ran to uh, quarterback and uh, that was when Arch Schleister got think I think got sacked nine times that day or something like that seventeen nothing by Penn State it was a, it was but anyway I was there for that uh, and I covered other different games helped cover other different games and then finally in '84 but I was also covering high schools and then the small colleges sure. in the state and then I started covering the Browns and the Bengals like in '79 covered them from '79 through '80. 83 season went with the went to three Super Bowls during that time and then uh started covering the Buckeyes in 84 after I got back from the Olympics what do you think what was like the best uh you know non-Ohio State thing before we get into some of the Ohio State memories that we're gonna get into in a little bit but what what's the best non-Ohio State sporting event you're able to cover especially in your early career <laughs> well in 1986 I covered Bobby Ray Hall's victory in the Indianapolis 500 and uh uh People who don't remember that, uh, his car, uh, team owner, Jim Truman, from Amlin, Ohio, which is right outside Dublin, in between Dublin and Hilliard, but he demanded to be called he's from Amlin, and uh, <laughs> the, the founder of True Sports and also the founder of Red Roof Inns, uh, he was dying of cancer, and the race was postponed for six days because of rain, and uh, finally on a super hot day in late May, uh, Bobby Ray all passes Kevin Cogan with two laps left and wins the Indy 500 or his team owner who died 11 days later from cancer. And uh, I was in the pits uh, sitting right next to Jim Truman the last 25 laps of that race, last 25, 30 laps of that race. I worked my way into the pits. And uh, still to this day, the hair raises on the back of my neck when I talk about it as I'm sitting here talking to you guys now, just how that all came together. And then, of course, I I covered the uh, Buster Douglas uh, win over Mike Tyson in Tokyo back in 1990. And uh, actually forecasted in a little column I wrote the day of the fight that uh, I thought Buster would win in eight. Little did I know he'd get almost knocked out in the eighth, but he came back in the tenth and won it, the ninth round, which was the greatest round of heavyweight boxing I ever saw live. And uh, that was cool because I got to cover a bunch of heavyweight big-time fights back in the uh, 
back in the late 80s and the early 90s, uh, mainly because of John Johnson uh, and bringing, you know, bringing up Buster Douglas and stuff. And that was cool. And then, you know, the other thing I really enjoyed uh, covering was uh, I was about 50 feet from Christian Leitner when he hit the uh, shot that beat Kentucky nice. in overtime uh, at the Spectrum in, in Philadelphia. Because we used to cover, we used to cover all of the, uh, the regionals way back when we had money and stuff. <laughs> way back in the good old days, we had money, airplanes. <laughs> You know, you name it, we had it at the dispatch. And, uh, and of course, you know, that took a turn, as we all know. But uh, those are three of the highlights. But there's a much, bunch of them, man. When Lufkin played Longview in 1974 in Lufkin's uh, brand-new stadium, there were five uh, Southwest Conference head coaches in the press box sitting right down the row from me, you know. Uh, Darrell Royal and, uh, and Frank Burrell's among them. Uh, Bill Yeoman from, from Houston. And uh, – Bottom line is that was one of the great football games I ever covered. It was seven to nothing. Uh, John Tyler won that game. It was a year after uh, Earl Campbell left to go to Texas. Earl Campbell's two twin brothers were on uh, John Tyler, and they were both studs. And then Lufkin had two had two twins by the name of Delrick and Elric Brown, who were and imagine uh, two Ted Ginn Juniors. That's what these guys were. It was a big time uh, recruiting race going on for all those guys, and uh, and it was a hell of a game. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, so you can see great stuff. It's not necessarily in the Super Bowl. This is my. Uh, it's very obvious, I'm sure, for you those of you listening. But this is this is why I love Tim May, and I do love him. I, I absolutely <laughs> adore him. I've adub- adored him. I thought we were going to keep that him. secret. No, everybody knows. Everybody knows the affection I have for you. And and what I what I your your enthusiasm for sport is infectious. And I and even in the most pessimistic times of the time that I was on the Ohio State beat on a daily basis uh, you always had a smile you were always enthusiastic and you always had just a real joy of the experience of covering sports and and you just got that I was covering I think, football was, man you know you know Bob, no I, I know you do and, and you're not talking about that a million times no, you we talk same, about, this thing could go two hours Tim, because yeah, yeah. because it's it's also a, it, what it really is more than anything else well you, well, the, well I know you have a soft spot in your spark, heart for indie racing and I I know that uh I cannot imagine what was covered what it was like to cover a big fight in the 80s when the heavyweight division oh, actually right. mattered um, I saw but, Mike but, Tyson knock Pinkland Thomas across the ring with a left right. hook it was the most I can't unbelievable punch I ever saw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you've told me stories about Don King and the craziness that happened and all of that. Yeah. But the, the thing I keep <laughs> coming back to to you is if if you and I get in a room and we start talking about college football, an hour and 15 yeah. minutes goes by. There were many times yeah. when I would look up and I'd go, oh, hell, I got an 11 o'clock show we got to do here. I got to go write a show because we'd yeah. burn two hours and that really is your first love isn't it is is football well, and specifically college football and this dates back to Alabama as a kid and it goes all the way through your coverage of Ohio State I went to my dad took me and my older brother Ben to the Alabama home games from 1961 to 1964 back when I was like uh zero to zero minus no I'm just joking when I was like <laughs> seven to 11 years old and uh as I, I coined the phrase before uh, before HBO did, I saw Joe Namath play on two good knees, and uh, what? Yeah. And I'm telling you, this Dwayne Haskins Jr. when he does that little move where he kind of half rolls to the right and kind of sort of like half leaps into the air and throws the ball, uh, Joe Namath used to throw that pass like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it, and this kid reminds me of him, man. It's it's crazy. Uh, oh, but uh, you know, so it's funny what you've seen. You, you you think you've seen it all, and then you see it all again, you know, so to speak. But uh, yeah, that's where my love for it was. My mom, to this day, is the most devout Alabama fan you're ever going to run into, and uh, and that's what I, you know. If I'd have grown up in a house of violinists, then I probably would have been a big violinist 
fan, although I know <laughs> for a fact I never would have mastered playing the violin. I did try the piano and the trumpet. But uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, that's that's I grew up in a, you know, my brother's now, you know, first time I got a bloodied lip, you know, from a quarterback sneak in the front yard game against uh, yeah. Mikey Fuquay and those guys across the street. I mean, my big brother turned to me and said, Tim, you're tough. That was one of the greatest <laughs> compliments I've ever got in my life, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I love, I've always loved football and I don't love it necessarily for the brutality of it. I definitely don't love it for that. I've always, I even wrote a story about that a long time ago. That, but if they could just take the injuries out of the game, what a beautiful freaking game it would be, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, And they're trying to do that now, of course, but uh, we'll see where they get with it. But if they had never made it so brutal in the first place and just made it tackle instead of hurt, you know, it would might have been yeah. a different kind of game. But, yeah, that's where it came from. I grew up in a household that loved not just Alabama football, but just but football. You know, um, you you so you get on the Ohio State beat in 1984, and Tim, I I think of just when I first got into covering big time college football in 2001, covering Florida State and Bobby Bowden. People are blown away by this, but I really I would go to Bobby Bowden's house every Monday mm-hmm. and interview mm-hmm. him at his house, and mm-hmm. and you'd get a you know hell I brought him Chick fil A sandwiches. I mean, it was these things happen, mm-hmm. and Miss Ann, his wife, would have banana pudding like that. That's not that long ago. That's 17 years ago. Those are the relationships that I was able to cultivate that are now an impossibility, I think. Do, do, I well, can't imagine what it was like in 1984 in terms of relationships you were able to cultivate with coaches and with players. Um, was it, I can't imagine how much it's changed. You must miss that. Uh, I'm, that's, what, that's, what I, that's why when I'm retired, I, you know, that's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be walking away going, well, boy, you know. Sure, wish I could be in one more of these uh, mob sessions uh, that we call interview yeah. sessions anymore. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm. I mean, back when I first started covering, even in the NFL, I mean, I covered the first uh, 49ers victory. You know, they beat the Bengals in the uh, Super Bowl, uh, and you know what was that, 82 or whenever it was, 81. And uh, Bill Walsh, I remember me and three other guys sitting with Bill Walsh when, at the Super Bowl, asking a few questions. You know, and it was, now you can't get near the coaches. Uh, uh, for the mm-hmm. most part, unless you're a network guy, but uh, Joe Montana sitting right there, you know, and just, you know, and it's, it wasn't just, it wasn't just college football that changed. Everything's changed, you know, and, uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, I mean, uh, my famous, my famous line about covering Ohio State back then was I not only knew all the players' names, I knew all their players' kids' names. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but the bottom line is, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd sit there every day in the, uh, in the hall and shoot the bull with players as they were coming out and interview a few of them and, and, uh, I mean, every day, you know, if, if it was, if the door was open, I was going to be there. And Earl Bruce was quite accommodating. And, you know, the, the, his famous line was nobody ever wants to come to practice till I close it. And he was right, you know, and, uh, but uh, he would close practice one, one week out of the year for like a big game, like when they were playing Iowa back then. And there was, those were some great, um, moments. And then always the week of the Michigan game, but otherwise practice was open, you know, Dom DeBerry and Paul Spahn and I, we'd be out there throwing the ball football on the sidelines, you know, and uh, before practice, yeah. sometimes during practice. Just, but, uh, yeah, those are th- that's what you miss the most is how, I don't know, uh, what's the word I'm looking there? I mean, uh, corporate. just how, yeah, yeah, how corporate's become, but how, how much fun it was from the standpoint of getting to know guys. And, I no, I wrote critical stuff back then. I had Keith Byers mad at me for several weeks and uh, things like that. And uh, But it was – but guys like Earl Bruce, he, I figured out early – uh, I was. Let me just give you this great example. The first year they go to the Rose Bowl, Ohio State goes to the Rose Bowl. Oh, boy, you know this is pretty good beat. They're going to go to the Rose Bowl every year. Well, it was the first time a 
team had ever won the Big Ten outright with two losses. And uh, But it gets to the Rose Bowl. But as they're getting ready for the Rose Bowl, <clears throat> near the end of the practice here in Columbus, I go in to talk to Earl one day, and I go, blah, 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 ask him about this, ask him about that, ask about that. And I said, by the way, Coach, I said, <clears throat> I'm hearing Pepper Johnson might be in jeopardy of not making the trip. And uh, and he looks at me and he goes, that's BS, except he didn't say BS. And and I I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's BS. He goes, that's BS that you hold that question till the last question, and then you ask me that question. He goes, if you got a question like that, you ask that first. That's the first question you ask. And uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm like looking at him like, oh my god, you know, because Earl Earl would blow up on occasion. Well, what you found out about Earl was a second later he was back to whatever the you know he was. He would have his moments. You know that, Bo. You dealt with him. Sure. He would have his moments, and then he'd get back to clarity, and he'd be okay. But as I said, you every day on the beach, you learn something new. And back then, I learned, hey, ask that tough question first and then move on. <laughs> and, uh, Timmy, do that yeah, on the golf course. I mean, course. you don't have those – you don't really Earl get the – you know, I know, I, know, uh, I know Urban Meyer pretty well, probably as well as probably anybody, because I knew him when he was a graduate assistant back in 86 and 87. But, you know, you don't get to be close – hang out with urban meyer like you know we used to go in used to go in and sit there in in john cooper's office for like 20 or 30 minutes and talk about all kinds of things you know and uh uh those days uh, unfortunately as uh, austin power said that train has sailed <laughs> tim i want to ask you real quick so this is kind of along the same lines when you needed a quote for you know just a post game anything like that what is the best player that you can think of of all time that could get you the quote that you need to really just like, you know, hang a story on. You mean other than Kirk Barton? Yes. Kirk Barton's still my favorite man. Cause he wasn't afraid as the old saying goes, Andy right. Gonzalez was good. Uh, Robert Smith was good. Uh, Mike Tomczak to a certain extent was good. So was Jim Carsada. So, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Uh, uh, Orlando Pace would always tell you what's on his mind. That's what that's when you're the biggest man on the block and you know it, and everybody else knows it. That's the way to go through life, right? Yeah. Uh, there have been a, there have been quite a few of them. I mean, I, if I name one, I'm leaving out thirty. Uh, but you know, you're always every year you're always looking for like two or three guys, like a Sam Hubbard or somebody like that, who you know is going to tell you a straight skinny. You know, if if he can. And those are. Those are the guys that you always really, when you look back on it, those are the guys you cherish. It's not always the superstar. But, you know, a lot of superstars have been pretty good, man. I mean, Robert Smith, I remember one of the, one of the guys here in town that covered the team one time, he said, Robert talks too much. I looked at him and said, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what, what, what are we doing here, you know? And uh, Robert would tell you, you know, exactly what he thought. You know, wow, that is refresh, so refreshing, it's unbelievable. Tim, you've uh, you, you start with Earl in terms of covering eras of well the end of Woody, and then Earl through John through Tress, and now Urban. Um, what do you what do you make of this Urban era? We're in the we're in the middle of, or you know, I don't know. There's been a lot of conjecture that we're maybe heading towards the end of. What what do you make of Urban's time here at Ohio State? Uh, it's it's maybe the greatest era in in, in Ohio State football when you just step back and take all the emotion out of a team getting beat 49 to 20, you know, by Purdue and uh, 55 to 24, whatever it was last year by Iowa. I mean, there, you know, everybody has anomalies, but uh, it's, you know, what he's lost nine games in seven seasons now. And that's crazy. He's won a couple of big 10 championships and he's won a national championship. And, you know, he was in the college football playoff one year. Obviously that team wasn't ready for 
wasn't as ready for prime time as we thought it was <laughs> against uh, Deshaun Watson, who the Browns should have picked. But uh, but the bottom line is, uh, it's you know he's he brought he brought a you know think about it you know this program went from Jim Trussell to Luke Fickle, who ended up being the interim coach. I mean, we all know he had a I thought he had a shot at the job, but the a couple of those losses, including the loss at Purdue, kind of ended that idea. You know, now he's doing a pretty good job. You got to admit it at Cincinnati, right? His second time around. But, uh, but you know, Ohio State went from from Jim Trestle to uh, Urban Meyer, and those both those guys, Jeez. you know, are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Earl Bruce is in the Hall of Fame. I think Trestle's in the Hall of Fame now, right? Am I correct? Uh, uh, but uh, just think about that, and I mean, think about the luck involved that Urban Meyer thought he was done coaching, you know, and to, to think that for anybody to think that there was a conspiracy that he was going no. to fake a heart attack or esophageal <laughs> uh, cramp, you know, whatever that was, and then basically decide he needs to step out, and then he's available. He's a native son. He loves Ohio State. He's loved it since Earl Bruce was here, and he was here as a graduate assistant, and then he's available <laughs> uh, when they needed him the most, and then he comes in, you know, yes, all of these coaches, every one of them, Woody Hayes, Bear Bryant, right on down the line, they all had foibles. I mean, they all had some uh, some chinks in the armor uh, that you know caught up with them on occasion. But the bottom line is, this is one of the great one of the great eras in uh, Ohio State history, maybe the greatest. And when you really look at wins versus losses, and throw in a national championship, yeah, it yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah, go let me ahead. add one other thing. Sure. The interesting thing about Nick Saban and 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 Urban Meyer, that I, where I hold them in higher esteem than maybe their predecessors. I'm talking about uh, Bear Bryant and Woody yeah. Hayes. Sure, is they're now in the, and and even Jim Trestle, you're now in the era where you play for the national championship. You don't get voted on and split it sometimes with somebody else. And I'm not knocking what those teams were all about, but. It was a rare occurrence when number one played number two, as you well know. And when Notre yeah. Dame beat Alabama in that seventy, was a two season seventy two Sugar Bowl on New Year's Eve or whatever that was, you know, that was one of my heartbreaking moments. But bottom line is, at least they played for it, you know. And now you don't get it without winning it, and you don't win you don't win the you don't win a Big Ten championship without winning it on the field. I, th- yep. I just think that's so much more jeopardy involved for the players and the coaches uh, than were, than was back in the golden age, so to speak. Tim, that's why I think what Saban's done is the most incredible thing in the history of college oh, sports. Absolutely. Not college football, absolutely. college sports. Five national championships in nine years, and he's got to win it on the field in that league? Yeah. Well, to get, a, no, get a program going like that and then to keep it going, yeah. you know, the old yeah. line is a lot of people have climbed – uh, a lot of people have climbed Mount Everest, but there aren't that many people who have climbed it twice or six he times lives or there. five times, you know? And Tim, he, he uh, he's got there. a little hut. He climbed to the top he's got and a little he built a house. Yeah. In fact, I think he's stunning. got a little zip line from K2 over to, <laughs> over to Mount Everest. He, <laughs> he just rides it's, back and forth, you know, and then down and right rides to his lake house. <laughs> it really is. It really is pretty amazing. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to finish up with some quick hitters for you. What is the, uh, what is the best Buckeye team you covered? At the end of the year, 2014, uh, the, for the most excitement, uh, 2002, without a doubt, because that was a team that just kept finding a way to win, and he got it shot and took full advantage of it. So uh, those are my two, two, two number one and number two, and maybe right. number one and one A. Best road trip in the Big Ten. Well, see, I had a, I had a, I had a, a 
time, about four or five years ago, when I decided I wasn't going to, you know, do things like I've been doing. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, <laughs> but before that, well, Wisconsin, Wisconsin was pretty good. So was Minneapolis. Uh, if you could get there the night before, things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, college towns, man, they have a way of sneaking up on you. If you know what I'm saying. I mean, I, I once covered uh, Iowa. Once covered Iowa and Penn State back in '81. This is for obviously uh, Penn State was in the Big Ten. It was either '81 or '82. I had a great night uh, uh, the night before that game. <laughs> yeah. Hayden Fry versus Joe Paterno, and uh, yeah. over there. So I think you know. You know, I think you I think you can find a good time if you're looking for it. You certainly can. What's your best uh, road restaurant? What's the the one place that you got to oh. go to in the Big Ten when you? I want to tell you something. Trips? This is this is just really recent that we found this place. We've eaten there a couple of times, and uh, it's called uh, uh, what's it called? Restaurant on Main or something like that. It's in Ligonier, okay. Pennsylvania, and we've eaten okay. there a couple of times on our way back from uh, Penn State on the Sunday. The Sunday, and it's I'm telling you, it's right up there with any, any place you've ever eaten in in the world. I can't remember. It's something on Main, but uh, okay. It's a great place. There's a there's a bunch, man. That, there that would be that'd probably be a list I need to make because uh, race that'd down, be a I race down to find a. I mean, we ate at a place called Smoke uh, that I found uh, down in Dallas when I was down there for the Cotton Bowl earlier, you know, back in January or, or December. Yeah. We ate that again on Friday night before the TCU game, and the they've got this thing called Coffee Grounds brisket. Oh my gosh, oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but go ahead, that, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, what's your favorite bowl game to cover? Not the you know, just the bowl, not necessarily a specific year with the bowl, but when, when the Ohio state gets this bowl draw, you go, well, that's going to be a good week. Uh, I've always enjoyed going to the Fiesta bowl. And, uh, of course, why wouldn't I, it's one I've been yeah. to more than any other by 10, by times 10, but nothing beats, nothing beats the sunset on the, uh, mountains outside, uh, the Rose yeah. bowl when it's a clear Dan Gabriel blue day. And it's been that way a few times I've been out there, for the Rose Bowl, and uh, that's that man. That nobody can duplicate that. Everybody else tries to do it with uh, pomp and circumstance. They just have the setting, you know, and they also have the world's greatest yeah. parade before that. But uh, but the Rose Bowl, but nothing, nothing, especially back in the day of John Junker and those guys. Nothing beat the hospitality at the uh, Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was like going to a five star vacation when you went there. That was outrageous. Uh, two yeah. two quick hitters for you. Not necessarily from a personality, but who's who's the most what player that you've covered is the most fun to just watch play football? To just watch play. Well, yeah. there's more than one, man. I mean, can't, you know, I know. It's, it's, I'm putting you on a spot uh, here. I enjoyed, I very much enjoyed watching Antoine Winfield play the whole time he was at Ohio State. He was a mighty might, and he was afraid of nothing. And he would always hit you between the knees and the hips. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you talk about a player. That guy was a player. As I said, the pound for pound, the best defensive player I ever saw at Ohio State. And uh, offensively, I've, I truly enjoyed all of these great running backs they've had, including Eddie George and uh, Robert Smith and, and Ezekiel Elliott when he got it going. But that first year in 84, before he, before he twisted his ankle on the last offensive play at Wisconsin, which ended up costing him the Heisman Trophy, Keith Byers was his dominant a running back as I ever saw alive. I mean, I think half of his tackles ended up him just his forward progress being stopped or him being run out of bounds. Uh, he was hard to just bring down, and he was – what a phenomenon. And it's too bad that he suffered the injury the next year, the broken fifth metatarsal, which uh, sidelined him. And 
in essence, uh, kept him from winning the Heisman Trophy. Finally, uh, what will you miss the most when it's done at season's end? Uh, I will miss, I will miss doing interviews uh, and just hanging out. You know, with, I'm, I'm not trying to throw sap on your uh, sap on your uh, syrup here, but uh, you know, hanging out with guys like you and and people like that. I mean, the conversations. You know, that old line is always the people. Well, you know, it really is, and it's like I won't miss games getting over at 12:30 and us trying to get stories in the paper in 20 minutes. And things like that. I think my right hand is permanently damaged from uh, typing, uh, not learning how to type when I was 15 when I could have. But uh, but I won't, I won't miss any of that. It's always my favorite line, as I've always said, is I would have had this would be a tremendously the best job in the world if you didn't have to write. <laughs> <laughs> That's because great. You get to go I a lot of places. Line. You get to meet a lot of quality people. Think about the quality people you run oh, into. Yeah, I mentioned people. Sam Hubbard a while ago. When Sam Herbert's done playing pro football, he's going to be running some huge, you know, brokerage house or something somewhere. You know, I mean, just yeah. these great guys you meet. And, uh, you know, and I, I, if you start naming one, you need to name 50. And so that's not fair, you know. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you for sharing some of it with us today. And, and we're forever indebted to the work you've done. And uh, we just appreciate you hopping on with us today. Well, let's do, let's do chapter two next time. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do Tim Bay and retirement next time. All right, buddy. Right. You got it. All right, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And it is Dubgate weekend, my friend. Give us give the people the details on that. Dubgate, I am, look, Dubgate is by far, the 11 Dubgate is by far my favorite event that we do every year. Um, obviously, it's for Down Syndrome and Cheese. We, uh, we had our, our good friend Lito on last week to kind of talk about it a little bit. But it's this Saturday. It's coming up. Uh, we've got all kinds of cool events. I'm going to include a link to it in the post here. Uh, but Saturday, November 3rd, starting at 9 a.m., going all the way to the game, uh, through the game, really. And uh, we've got a bajillion sponsors right now. Obviously, my favorite one that I that we're bringing is Dirty Franks, but we've got a bunch of other guys coming as well. So I really want you guys to check it out, donate to DSA, um, have some fun, meet everybody. It's it's going to be a really good time. So definitely come on out. Yeah, it always is. Uh, before we get to uh, a quick thought about Nebraska this week, do we have, we do have a time for some quick ask us anything? If you have any this week, my friend. Yeah, let's do a few quick ones here. Uh, if you guys want to ask us anything, please send us a question to dubcast at eleven warriors dot com or at eleven dubcast on twitter this <laughs> this first one's from mark and he signs this yours in misery so i, I think that kind of gives you an idea <laughs> how he's feeling uh his his question is actually about the offensive line and um i'm just going to kind of quickly summarize it here so he basically says that like maybe the the presence of the rpo scheme and then maybe how it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit has affected the way the offensive line has been playing do you think that maybe they just uh, need to transition to a better, you know, mentality or a better posture when it comes to playing with Dwayne Haskins behind them, as opposed to a guy like JT Barrett? Is is that one of the things that could be affecting them? Mm, maybe. I I just don't know if we've got an alpha dog on the offensive line. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's a a Billy Price, Pat Elf line. I don't know if there's just somebody. You know, you just think of guys who just led and were just tough. Right. Like I don't know if there's that type of road grader to lead those guys, and um, you know, I I don't know if it's. I think maybe that has more to do with it than anything right. else. I, I just think, I think that across the roster, you know that 
some of it's scheme. Like uh, some of the right. stuff the linebackers are doing, I can't explain. But right. some of it is just <laughs> I a don't lot think of guys that are, No, yeah. But I think that there's a lot of a lot of whatever ails Ohio State is, um, you know, players who are a little entitled and living off past generations' accomplishments. Yeah, coaches I, look, too. Here's, by the way, well, and here's what I would say. First of all, I, I appreciate that Mark is is coming up with a very technical, interesting question. I also agree with you though that the answer to this technical, interesting question is is very simple. And they're just look, run blocking isn't particularly difficult i don't think it requires a ton of technique you just got to go out there and hit dudes and i agree with you i don't know that they have a guy that is kind of their leader on the line there that's kind of going to get them pumped up the way like a billy price might or somebody else so i i disagree i i think that they they need to have a guy who can really step up and get them motivated to do the kind of things that you know we expect a gigantic offensive line like that to be able to do so um all right, this next one's from Alvin. He says, uh, what other uh, sports beats do we follow, read, listen to on the regular? Could be Ohio State, professional, anybody. Well, certainly with one of my jobs would be the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. Right. So that would be, but even before I was doing that, that was, um, you know, obviously the one I covered second most. I, I mean, I follow all of them. I, I follow the NBA. I follow college basketball. I've, I've taken a baseball vacation in recent years. I don't follow that as closely. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, I, it might be surprising. I try to follow a little bit of English Premier League. I follow a little bit of that <laughs> little little Champions League soccer from time to go. time. Um, those would be the ones that I that I probably pay the most attention to. Yeah, I would say outside of the Ohio State stuff, uh, the two that I really pay the closest attention to are probably the Blue Jackets and then the Reds. Which I mean, <laughs> I grew up with the Reds. I grew up with the Cincinnati Reds, going to games, you know, all that I could, reading a lot of Hal McCoy, listening to a lot of, you know, Marty Berman and Joe Nuxall on the radio. And, you know, the Reds just <laughs> it's it's one of those love hate things. It's it's not the same as a Cleveland Browns deal where you I, I think a lot of people, the Browns, they just they expect more. I, the, the Reds are just kind of this constant presence in my life and have been since I was a little kid, but I also don't really expect a whole lot of it. So I take a lot of pleasure in the guys who have been uh, reporting on the Reds for so long because it almost feels like you've got this partnership, this brotherhood yeah. with, with guys who, who have experienced the Reds not getting, you know, being successful in the playoffs for like 20 plus years. Like that is just, it's this weird symbiosis that you develop with these writers. <laughs> and so, I like again guys like Hal McCoy. There's there's a great story. I don't know if you know the story. You know the story about Hal McCoy and uh, Aaron Boone. Have you heard about that? No, I mean it's I'm familiar with it, but no, I don't know the specifics of it. Yeah, so Hal McCoy was considering retiring a while ago because his eyesight was failing, um, and you know he just he couldn't follow the games the way he used to. And Hal McCoy was really really well liked by the Reds, uh, just the staff and the players and everything. And, and he's a great writer. And uh, Aaron, he was thinking of quitting and he talked to Aaron Boone about it while Aaron Boone was a player and Aaron Boone sat down with him and said, look, man, if you can still do it, you still enjoy it. Like, we'll support you however you can. And, you know, we'll try to make sure the team supports you and and get you what you need to keep playing or keep writing. And he did. And he stuck at it. And it's, you know, I I just love stories like that because you're not covering a really great, awesome, successful team, but you are covering something that's a big part of my life. And so Again, the Reds are not awesome. It's not always fun to follow them, but it's just something that's kind of part of, you know, how I grew up. And uh, I'll keep following them till the day I die, which is well, I, 
yeah, you know. the, the interesting thing you say about McCoy is in the Aaron Boone story is is baseball is probably the last when the, the question was about beats and what beats do you follow and all that. Baseball is right. probably the last one where you can still have relationships because the beats for most major league teams are relatively small, right. less than five people. Yeah, they're so, not a lot of dudes. No, so you really can cover it and learn people and and build relationships. So that's that is one where you know if you follow a major one specific major league team as long as it's not the Yankees or the Red Sox or somebody like that, but if you follow one of the two Ohio teams, Indians or Reds, the people you're reading are plugged in because yeah. there aren't that many of them. Yeah, and and you follow them for such a long time. I mean, it, you know, that's the really great thing about having Tim on today because you know, it's it's it is almost like a dying art and I love the fact that you can have that in some of those sports still because it really is it has changed so much. And even in the time that, you know, I've been kind of like doing it, which is not granted a very long time at all, but um, it's just, it's fascinating to see how it's evolved and, and whatnot. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Um, last thing here that I want to ask about, and this is, uh, this is from Randy here on, on Twitter. Uh, so Randy just kind of wants to know, you know, with the, the games that are coming up and, on a national level, what what's the biggest game, not Ohio State game, that you're looking forward to? Um, well, yeah, this weekend we got a good one. I mean, I'm although I feel like I know the outcome. I I suppose it. I mean, I suppose it would be Alabama LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, would probably be the one that you know in Baton Rouge if Ed Orgeron and Joe can make some magic happen. I mean, they are 14 and a half point underdogs at home. <laughs> Alabama right. is favored by two touchdowns in the hook in Baton Rouge. Right. That's crazy. I mean, that yeah. tells you what people think of Alabama. You just rarely see that. I mean, that's the last one I think that's out there other than games that involve us that will be like, will really impact everything, you know? Isn't that and then crazy I suppose, though? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got the, you got the championship games, I guess. I'm, I'm really interested to see. I, I, I get so sucked into the underdog. And I am just hoping and praying that Wazoo does something really crazy in the Pac-12, just because I love Mike Leach. So if they if they keep rolling out, that is the game I'm going to be looking towards. Because frankly, I think Alabama is just going to crush everybody, and uh, I, I want to see some spiciness towards the end of the year. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I want to see if we can get a goofy team in there and and make some noise. Um, but that's ask us anything. Thank you guys for uh, for sending those in. Keep doing it. It is Nebraska week. Just a real quick thought on this. I am, it's interesting before, as I mentioned before, before we even started, you and I both, like you said, I am a rash. I think your exact quote was, I'm irrationally nervous about Nebraska. I said, yeah, yeah. me too. And I think it's well-founded. Um, I think they are getting better as the game goes along. I think they're more athletic um, and maybe offensively, at least more dangerous Minnesota. And uh, I, they, they're not deep. They, they, but they are, they have a great coach. And I think that that they're coming along. I, I am nervous. <laughs> I'm pretty nervous about this one. And I think if if we don't fix one of the two problems we have with either not figuring out how to get things in short yardage or not tackle, I think we're yeah. in for a bit of a, a boat race up and down the field in terms of these two teams just both scoring on each other left and right. I I don't, and I, I just don't feel real great about it, my friend. Yeah, which is insane because you know Nebraska's right. won what two games. So I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and, a lot and, of fluky losses that. though, and they right. played without Martinez a lot. He, I think yes. he missed four of their losses. So um, right, they've been and banged they lost up. Some fluky games. That's right. They've been banged up, and I think a lot of people might overlook them a little bit. 
I mean, look, Ohio State has run rampant over Nebraska recently, but they also had, I think, you know, J.D. Spelling then had something like 200 yards receiving last season. Um, Look, you've got to be able to stop the passing game. You're going to have a guy who's going to be a little bit more dynamic in the backfield. You know, I don't expect Ohio State to lose this game. I'm not trying to give that impression. No, either. But I also think that this is going to be a much better litmus test for what they've been able to fix in the bye week, then I think maybe people will give it credit for. People might see if, if Ohio State comes out here and just dominates Nebraska, people are like, oh, well, of course, they should be able to do that. I think that will be indicative of them having made some really positive changes if that happens. If they come out and struggle against Nebraska, that's to me a gigantic warning sign for the rest of the season. So I, I just I, yeah. I think this is a really important game for a lot of reasons. You've got to be able to bounce back from a loss, true, but you also have to be able to show that you have fixed some of the really nagging problems especially especially in the back seven of the defense uh and if they can do that i'm going to be a little bit more optimistic for the rest of the season but if you see the same kind of struggles that you saw against purdue and you know other teams then they've i don't know what the rest of the season will look like the only thing that makes me feel good leading into this one is that everything that i've seen about the reaction to us wearing the ridiculous black all black and red uniforms (laughs) has been negative and so that right. to me is the only, the fact that we're going to look like, you know, some combination of Rutgers, South Carolina and Louisville at uh, noon. on a Saturday at noon, yeah. a, quote blackout. And they're trying to convince people to wear black and they're selling these jerseys for 136 bucks. Just stop it. Just <laughs> stop it. I mean, what in the hell are you doing? Yeah. And so the fact that it's been almost universally panned, I think, is uh, is really the only positive good feeling I have leading into this one. I'm with you. I don't think they'll lose, um, but I could see how this could get a little dicey. Yeah, agree. All right, buddy. We will uh, we'll visit next week. Uh, we want to thank Tim May of the Columbus Dispatch for joining us, one of the all-time greats. We thank you for listening. We'll visit with you again next week. See you next week, buddy. Yep, see you next time.